Hey, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and joining me today, as always, is Brendan Rorison. But, Brend, we have a special guest. We do indeed, Adam. I'm in a bit of an Adam sandwich today, uh, because we have an esteemed community member and uh, soon-to-be-famous GT4 modder, it seems like, uh, the Admeister here with us, Adam. How's it going? Hello, hello. It's going well. Glad to hear it. We're, we're very, we're very privileged to have you on. Of course, we we chat all the time in the Time is Ten Discord, that sort of thing. You've been doing a lot of cool stuff recently, and um, with Gran Turismo Four, and just in general, Gran Turismo actually. Uh, you're always sharing some cool stuff in the Discord and that sort of thing. And, and me and uh, American Adam are like, you know what? It's time to it's time to go for Adam Squared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Basically every week we um, we get together and we play uh, GT7 or I mean lately there hasn't been much GT7 but we just we just all gather on Thursdays in the time extend Discord and chat and uh, this all came about because you're doing a lot of awesome modding work uh, in GT4 but also other other games as well uh, and also like the it's it's been cool to watch uh, we'll get into you know obviously specifics about like the work that you're doing and whatnot but it's been cool to watch it get like noticed and, and sort of the spread around the community of racing game fans in general because um the uh gt4 uh prize randomizer that you did um which is just such a simple thing that i never would have thought would like take off but like streamers were like sharing it and stuff so that's really cool yeah definitely it's taken off more than i would think um, it, it was just an idea that sort of came out of nowhere, really. It was, um, I've probably messed up the messaging of it when I've been speaking about it publicly, to be honest, because it started life as a mod that's just like an overhaul of the entire game, just trying to do a bit more of everything that Polyphony already did. And then someone in the community Discord, like for the modern things, was it was almost just like a throwaway idea. It was just like, what if you did random prizes? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and then long story short here we are yeah I mean <clears throat> I think like it's such a simple idea and concept but you could argue like the perfect time to make something like this when you consider where gaming is as a whole just now with like I know we'd made a joke before it, uh, about it before Adam but like the whole gacha thing that's like so massive <laughs> in certain genres and that sort of thing and kind of bringing that randomization and like excitement to, to Gran Turismo 4 of all games as well it does seem as if it's like at the right time to really capitalise on like the kind of streaming generation and that sort of thing because <clears throat> since you don't know what prize cars you're going to get and uh, I'm sure you can talk this through it in a bit but like the, the amount of variables that go into actually assessing what cars you can get and that sort of thing really makes it a unique playthrough for anybody playing a game they've probably played a million times over at this point. Yeah, definitely. Um, the thing that I was going to say about it as well was that it's funny that you mentioned it being sort of streamer friendly thing because we've mentioned it jokingly at a few points that it's just streamer bait. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> like when we've watched people play it live, you realise how much it's actually quite good for chat interaction and things. Because yeah. most of the people we've watched play it, you'll have them just come up to the end of an event, like the last uh, the last race of an event, and then they'll start asking the chat or even like starting polls on Twitch and like what car we're going to get. There's some that'll make it into a little game itself where it's like. If someone can guess the brand, I'll give a free sub kind of thing. Or like, <laughs> is this one going to have more horsepower or less than the one we're in? Hmm. Um, things like that. It's just like, for lack of a better word, it's making more of a game on top of a game. It's new games out of a game. Yeah, it's funny because like, as 
awful as like the whole loot box trend is and microtransactions and everything like that, there is a core sort of charm to that experience, like people opening something up, what am I going to get? Uh, if we try to strip away the awful, you know, late stage capitalism end of it, like that's a pretty fun moment that everyone should share. Uh, yeah. And and by, you know, just modding a, you know, almost a 20 year old game, you've essentially done that. Uh, yeah. And, and it'd probably be good to just explain loosely like what it does for the people that don't know. <laughs> yeah. It'll be in layman's terms anyway, because to be honest, the actual ins and outs of randomization, I don't understand either. But essentially, I think most people will be familiar with it if they played something like Minecraft. So when you start a new game in that, it generates an entirely new world, which I'm not sure how many variables are used in that, but essentially you're going to get a world that's never been seen before. But what you can do is provide what's known as a seed, which is just like a text or numeric input value that basically means, like I said, I don't know the details of it, but it basically means it's deterministic. It'll generate the same thing every time. So um, after some brainstorming of things from people smarter than me to come up with a way of taking input from the game and turning it into a seed, we basically came up with a way that just adds the current person's username and the name of the event they just completed and the extra condition something I'll come back to in a sec because that was a, a complication I realised after the fact. Hmm. But it basically uses those, puts them together and uses the game's own sort of randomization generator to generate a deterministic um, value that used, uh, it's used to pick the prize cars out of an array. Um, the thing I touched on just a second ago where it's the condition one thing I realised when I was actually testing the thing for the first time was obviously all the licences have the same name, so like International A, International B, um, but you can complete them three different ways. You can just complete them, but you can get all silver or all gold. So that was when I realised you have to add that on because we had a few runs yeah. to start with where I got gold and I got the same car three times and I was like, ah, <laughs> that needs to be adjusted. But uh, one of the initial ideas I had is actually something people have asked for quite a bit. But what I always say without trying to sound snobby or anything is they probably don't realise that it wouldn't be that fun. It's to randomise it every time. So you play Sunday Cup twice and get a different car each time. And that is more true random, but then it kind of kills off any fun from challenge runs because you know someone could just play the same event over and over until they get like the perfect car that they want for everything. Right. Um, so we thought even if it's not as accessible in terms of being able to complete the game 100%, like you might never win a certain car that's needed for a certain event. We thought the trade-off of not being able to win a different car from every repeat event was probably worth it for the entertainment value of people getting funny prizes on streams and knowing that that was that. Um, hmm. So yeah, it's kind of like a concession we made where we thought, this is more entertaining than it is helpful and it's probably best to go with that. Hmm. I think that's a really good point as well because um, obviously when you were kind of shown as this before it went public ad you were kind of asking for names to put in and then yeah. seeing what type <laughs> of cars you were getting from certain names and that sort of thing so I guess like if this is something that like truly took off and like a lot of people kept streaming it 
kept trying to do challenge runs, like you say, it's possible a cursed name could emerge that like gives you the worst possible prize cards, makes the game that little bit harder if you're kind of applying further rules that maybe you can't yeah. spend X amount more on a car, that sort of thing. So like the fact that somebody could be like, Holy shit, don't call yourself Bob or <laughs> something like that. And then like <laughs> yeah. you get all these like crazy cars from a name like that. It, it could add that little bit of depth. I think like true random would be great as well, but even just from like a a sent a, like, a, a, I don't know if it's the right word, but like a kind of sentimental value point of view in terms of what you've created, the fact that there are specific variables that give certain results will ultimately make for more meaningful conversation than just kind of randomly generated cars at yeah. the time. I know what you mean for definite, yeah. It is, like I said, it just goes back to it being more entertainment value than anything else. It's like, oh, I got this seed and it was absolutely terrible. I got three motor wagons in a row. Like, that <laughs> that kind of stuff can come up where, whereas with true random, you can just keep generating things and have it be perfect. And then where's the fun in that? Um, you mentioned with cursed uh, usernames, there has been one quite close so far. I think it was in Dustin Eden's server. Um, it wasn't in a row. I thought from the garage screenshot that it was two prizes they got in a row, but someone played um, B Licensed Bronze, the very first thing that you would do, and got the classic Daihatsu midget, and then <laughs> did something else, got some other car from another thing, took that car to Sunday Cup, the prize they got off the Sunday Cup, another classic Daihatsu midget. <laughs> so they just ended up with two of these, to be fair, completely useless things, almost in a row. and. Everyone got a laugh out of that on the Discord, and that's the kind of thing you wouldn't get with true random, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we were trying it out for the first time, you were showing it to us. I think Brend or Brank, one of your names, Brend, emerged <laughs> as like a really good one to choose. Um, yeah. You, you had like a, a couple like Group C cars in there, I think, from the jump. So. Yeah. I think, yeah. I can't remember if he just used his usual username or something else, but when Silent played through it, hmm. I think he got the Toyota 88CV from Sunday Cup. The one everyone calls oh, them an older. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't bug him for what username he used, but maybe do. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so it's so interesting just seeing like for example Adam uh, American Adam <laughs> mentioned like how many streamers have taken it up and you've talked about a few Discord servers as well, Ad, that have kind of taken it up and the fact that it's creating so much conversation, like for example in our Gran Turismo subserver, there are at least three or four people always talking about yeah. what cars they get. Every day. That yeah. sort of thing. Every yeah. day, yeah. exactly, because it's a totally new experience for a game that already exists. And I think that's the the beauty of it, that from our perspective, it's like a, a simple addition in terms of what it adds to the gameplay. But the actual kind of underlying logic and the thought process you were talking about behind that, about how to keep it fun that sort of thing. You could argue that's kind of what's missing from like modern racing games in some ways, where it's like, it doesn't have that nice gamification hook and it's all focused more on the actual actual gameplay loop, but something like this can really make a difference, so I think that's where the whole, it's not a full fan game obviously, but the version of GT4 that you will ultimately put together is, it has your footprint on it, it has yeah. some of the, the other GT modding guys involved, and yeah, I think it's interesting because it's a perspective of the game that you, we just wouldn't get without that kind of fan input and that sort of thing. So I was just curious, like the, the inputs you're getting from people, like you said, some of the suggestions can be that wouldn't actually be that fun because X, Y, Z. But I take it there's also other scenarios where you go, oh, actually, that's a, that's a really cool idea and, and you maybe integrate it in as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, just for your original point, it's definitely been quite a fundamental thing because 
you're probably familiar with it yourselves. After so much time, everyone knows there's a certain path that everyone takes when they play for. It's mm -hmm. always get through a couple of licenses, get a decent car, go to the special condition hall, yep. win the RSC like seven times, and then you've got millions to do whatever you want with. <laughs> and that, <laughs> yeah. that's why I feel it's so fundamental, because you've changed it to a point where that doesn't apply anymore, mm -hmm. and it's fresh again. You don't know what you're going to get. It's like yeah. you've, you've never played the game before and you don't know about the RSC thing. It's that kind of thing. Uh, not to big it up too much, you know. But It's funny because it, it reminds me of... I can't remember who I heard say it first, but it was on the podcast years ago. And somebody was like, when we were kids, games weren't bad. They were just hard. And the thing is, obviously, no one would say that like Grand Turismo before is a bad game. No rational person anyway. But like <laughs> having one event in the game give you enough money to do the things that you want to do in the game. Like that's not that's not great design. It, it was just kind of a mistake. And we saw it play out again with like certain events in GT7 that paid out a lot. And then people spam those. But now, of course, today uh, you can update a game and you can get rid of that. Uh, so... Yeah, you're basically, you're, you're sort of rewriting the path of the game, but, you know, and, and there obviously in this case is a random element to it, but it's not like the original path was like necessarily good anyway, it's just kind of what happened. Yeah, I think to be honest, there's probably some logic behind some of it, but hmm. it feels, there are certain things where you think this feels like it was kind of done last minute when the game was about to be pushed out. Like someone's just quickly thought, oh, we'll just put that on there and didn't consider like the, the grander implications of it, that you can just cheese the whole game with one event where you can keep getting one car. Um, or the ability to re repeat prizes in the first place. Um, I like that ability, but it becomes a bit overpowered with some of the nicer car, uh, car prizes. Um, there's one thing I want to go back to when Bren mentioned um, good suggestions. The randomizer itself was just a bit of a throwaway idea when I was working on the general mod. Um, I might have to come back to other good suggestions that have come up since then, but I know I'm pretty sure one of the more recent things that I've done, which is to make the randomizer just an option in the overall mod rather than its own build, that might have been a suggestion from someone, but I can't quite remember at the minute. But uh, yeah, the reaction to it's been really fun so far. Yeah, can you uh, shed light on some of the other things in the mod? Because I know there's there's a ton else uh, that yeah. we've seen. So, uh, in a bit of a sort of self, a sort of pat on the back, self move, I've decided to call it Spec 2, because that's just, I feel like it gives people an idea of what it's about, if that makes sense. Yeah. What I always try to tell people is that I want to do things that look like they were done by Polyphony, if they had a bit more time to do more with the game. Yeah. So it was just sort of a no-brainer when I thought, well, they called the big overhaul updates for 5 Spec 2, yeah. and then for Prologue you even got Spec 3 at some point. So I just thought for the games I didn't get a Spec 2 update, use that name, because they obviously never used it. So some of the general things it does, um, it started off basically as just a sound replacement thing, because as pretty much everyone I've blabbed onto it knows, um, I'm a big sound nerd for cars. I'm absolutely the guy who'll play a game and just be like, that doesn't sound like it's got six cylinders, kind of thing. Um, and everyone knows that the old Gran Turismo games just don't sound good in general. So um, I've been playing it a lot in the past few years on emulators, and whenever I've been playing through it, I've always just thought, 
This is one of the best games, one of the best racing games I've known. What are the main things I would fix with it if I could? And the first thing that comes to mind is just the sounds, really. And then in some cases, some events that seem to go on a bit too long, which I've also started to do more recently. But at the time I thought the sounds and the really rigid chase camera, and I thought I can't fix the chase camera, and then someone eventually did. Yeah. So I thought I better start working on the sounds then. <laughs> and then it's just ballooned from there, basically. It's more like school creep in mode form, but it's just, like I said, basically just trying to do loads of things that I think are good ideas that never made it to the original game. Um, one of the other things I did as well, which was a really big request, I knew it was one of the things I wanted to tackle straight away, was um, restoring the regional content. So everyone knows the, the whole thing with the SO Super. Yeah, the really nice uh, blue and white 2001 uh, GT500, I think it is. Yeah. That one that was only in PAL and Japanese copies and so on. Um, because everything, everyone nowadays tries to use the NPSC versions because they're 60 frames per second, which mm -hmm. is obviously best for everyone on an emulator. Um, those versions are missing those cars, so that was a big win to be able to bring those back. Um, and then from there, once, like I said, people smarter than me figured some things out with like reverse engineering the scripting language and so on, it just ballooned out into what new gameplay features can we add. So one of the things I did from there was um, I made something that's sort of reminiscent of Gran Turismo 2's event synthesizer. So obviously I gave it that name. Not pretentious or anything, but you know. Um, <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know, it's kind of in the name, but uh, once you've reached a certain point in Gran Turismo 2, you reach the event synthesizer, which has some difficulty options that you'll click on. And you just get a loading screen for a while, and then it just plops you into a random track with a random-ish grid that's set up to match the car you're in. Um, so what I actually did was just use the arcade mode logic, where it works the same way. You go into arcade mode, you pick a car, and you get the difficulty slider. Hmm. And what we found out that does is it's like the offset in a list of AI cars. So I think what it does is, say out of all like 700 cars in the game, your car is at position like 55. When you select the difficulty, it'll select the cars within range of that, like this pre-sorted, performance-ordered list. Um, so that was actually just a lot of logic taken from arcade mode, but put into a race that actually awards credits at the end. Yeah. Um, The other thing as well that you had some input on yourself, Adam, was the new dealership UI. That one's definitely a bit more of a niche car nerd thing, but uh, <laughs> that was quite a fun process. Yeah, that was that was interesting because I think like it does change. It is it is something that changes the appearance of the game more than the function. However, one of the issues that I always had with uh, GT4, maybe not at launch because that was kind of right on the cusp of not everyone having an HGTV, but it just never scaled well to 16 by nine. And then like, uh, I think with online, right, they fix the fonts, but obviously the UI isn't meant for that. So what you've done with the, with the new car dealerships is like put in big images, uh, get rid of some of that empty space that used to be there in the showrooms that looked good, but was ultimately kind of just filler and add some more images, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Effectively, I've done. I've I've reversed the problem. Really, I've gone from an interface that doesn't look good on widescreen to an interface <laughs> that looks a bit meh on four by three. Right. But yeah. um, I, I have obviously made it work and be readable at four by three. But 
my assumption was everyone playing it nowadays must be on a widescreen of some kind. Um, most people anyway. Um, so it was designed primarily as like a sort of new widescreen experience. One of the things I just thought of um, that's really interesting that you did is I think with this you're kind of turning people on to uh, all of the modders are turning people on to content that they didn't know was in certain versions of the game and not others we talked about the cars obviously but like i had no idea that the japanese version of gt4 had like complete descriptions for every car um that's just something they just did not go to any effort to bring over to the other languages uh releases of that game so um you're finding a way to get that back in which is really cool yeah, that was another thing to touch on the things that I felt were done like at the last minute in the game. Um, in the Japanese version, they have these full car descriptions, like the kinds you would have seen in two, five, and everything since. It's all like, we all know it's like big paragraphs of text, but it looked really sort of not well done, if that makes sense. Because if you look at the Japanese version, the way the descriptions work is it actually just uses the little tooltip section at the bottom of the screen, and it just scrolls through paragraphs and paragraphs of text in that little tiny area. So if you want to read a description for like five cars, you'll probably be there for about half an hour just trying to read the thing. Um, so that was one of them things where, like I said, I put the pretentious hat on and I thought, I can do that a bit better than they did. So I, ju I just decided to put those in as a window-based thing where you can read the whole thing at once. Um, it's actually a lot of work to do that, but something that I think will pay off because it's just, it's one of those things that makes the game feel a bit more like you just walking around appreciating cars rather than just using them as these things progress on. Uh, feels a bit more like a Kaz's vision kind of thing. Yeah, because the, the cars are ultimately the, the star of the show as the, the old cliche goes, especially in Gran Turismo games. So that's why even like the the UI fixes and stuff just bring more attention to all of the detail that goes into these games that, like you're saying, maybe wasn't represented in the best possible way to meet deadlines or, or anything like that. So just lo little tweaks like that probably just go as far along as like, wholesale changes like the sounds in terms of just making it feel like a, a more complete experience as well. Yeah, it's like trying to elevate the car a little bit further above everything else in sort of priority, putting the spotlight on it a bit more. Um, the mindset that I had when I was doing the car dealer stuff was the original version looked a bit more gamified. You go into these menus and you just have this little banner at the top that only fades between two pictures. But one of the things I've always quite liked as a car nerd is the whole thing of just... And a photography nerd, I suppose, is just the way car brochures looked in the early 2000s. And that was a big inspiration for it. Um, because... I don't even know how to quantify it really, but when I look in the new version of the UI now, it feels more like you're just flicking through a brochure and you like browsing the cars is going into the deeper pages and looking at the different models that are available sort of thing. But it does feel a bit more like a tactile car buying experience rather than a gamified choose your weapon thing. That was um that's something that I really have a fondness for from, you know, a lot of the games that we grew up with. Uh I think back to like you know, Need for Speed 2, for example. I mean, honestly, all the early Need for Speed games that had a component where you would hear uh, Jim Conrad talk about the car and then you might see a slideshow of the car and all that stuff. There was a time where, like, the branding and the advertising was cool. I think before we were constantly bombarded with it on every single screen uh, in our daily lives. And 
yeah, this kind of brings kind of brings that feeling back a little bit. Um, because there were also like, I mean, they something that doesn't really happen so much anymore. But you know, Polyphony had various versions of the game, right? They had it pretty much built in where you could, you know, if there was a Mazda uh, MX-5 version, but any manufacturer that wanted their version of GT4 to show in the dealership or whatever, they they had the tool kind of built in that was hidden where they could make yeah. that happen, right? So yeah, yeah. It was like a kiosk mode thing where yeah, in the yeah. secret menu, which there's a cheat code now for, um, <laughs> you would go in and you would just set, I think it's like favorite manufacturer or something. And then once you've set that, the game saves and reloads the main menu. And you've got a different video in the background. And instead of the Gran Turismo 4 logo, you just have that manufacturer's badge. So it's just like now you have the, the Ford edition or now you have the Mazda edition and so on. Um, but they did even go further than that. Like they made specialized builds of games like the MX-5 edition. Uh, the BMW dealer demo and like 600 editions of concept for every different car that was coming out <laughs> at the time um, it's insane how much they were tied to certain manufacturers and I think that's a thing that ties in with everything else we've been doing like it feels like a dealership experience just like having those kiosks probably set up in a real life dealership would have been you feel a lot more like a real person browsing through cars um, and it's like the Need for Speed 2 thing, like you said, before advertising became a bit too sort of bland and in your face, for lack of a better word, it's like personifying the cars in a way. It sounds weird, but you know what I mean? When when it makes the cars into like their own characters, it just kind of hits different. Maybe yeah. it's a generational thing. <laughs> yeah, and it connects us to the real world. Like, that was, again, something that we don't really need now, but at the time, like, games going from sprites the polygons everything wanting to feel more authentic and feel more real uh i mean i i remember spending just hours browsing you know the various dealerships in gt4 and that was i would do that in a lot of games but with gt4 you had so many cars that for the first time you really could lose an inordinate amount of time just like going into the different countries yeah one thing i don't think people realize is that the country dealers are actually laid out as if it's a world map you have USA oh, yeah. you have USA over on the left and then it sort of it sort of like slides along through like Great Britain France and Germany sort of place respectively where they are in Europe and then further along to the right you have Japan and Korea and then below those is Australia I might be misremembering this but didn't they move the locations of some of the dealers for like swap spots uh, for a certain build or a certain version of the game. I might that be wrong on this. That is something they did in 6. If you remember in 6 when the dealer was there, the dealers were just laid out as tiles for like Asia Pacific, USA and Europe. Um, there was a check in those games for which region you were playing and whichever one matched the one you were playing was the one that would come first. Oh, okay. So whenever I played it, I would say Europe first, but for your company, you would say USA first. Gotcha. That was probably something that was so subtle, most people never even noticed it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask, um, you know, we're talking a lot about different features and some things that were a little bit harder to implement than others. Was there anything, I guess I could ask this question both ways. Uh, was there anything that you wanted to build or maybe... I, I know you probably don't want to talk about things that you want to build because you don't want to set an expectation, but is there anything that you wanted to do that you maybe couldn't? Or conversely, is there anything that at the start of the project you were just like, 
that's probably out of reach or wasn't even something that crossed your radar. And now you're like, I have the understanding to do it. Yeah. Um, there's probably more to see on the first one, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it started <laughs> off just as an audio replacement. Uh, the second one, sorry. Um, it started off just as an audio replacement thing. And I figured that anything actual sort of gameplay related was out of reach. But as people have figured out the how the scripting language works and so on, with Nenkai's tools being able to decompile scripts and rewrite them, suddenly we have a lot more control over the game that we thought just wasn't there to begin with. Um, I would definitely say there are more cases of, oh, we can actually do this when we thought we couldn't, than things we still can't. Um, things that were still restricted by, um, you can't control anything that happens once you're on the track. I know we've, we've had some people say things like, can we have Grand Turismo 3's rally physics back? Things like that, where it's like, it might be possible if you tweak all the tire compounds and stuff, but in terms of, like, we can't change the actual physics engine of the game. We can't make it behave <laughs> like 7. <laughs> um, um, for other things that are out of reach that I would like to do, it's just weird little things where you know the game was made by people who didn't anticipate it ever being modded, really. Very standard stuff, like um, the event synthesizer, I don't think there's a way of dynamically changing the event award. So you always get 20,000 for the race ID that, is, that corresponds to the synthesizer. So because one thing we wanted to do was if there was the ability to add um, a lap selector. So say if you wanted to do like 20 laps versus 2 laps, have it scale the prizes based sure. on that, a bit like Gran Turismo 7's tool. Yeah. It doesn't look like that's possible because it's basically just this is the race, that's what you get for that race. Um, the sort of workaround I've done for that is I've made two codes in the database, one just for most races and one that's just for long races. So it now has logic to where if it selects any like regularish length track, it will be a two lap race with like a 20,000 credit reward or something like that. And if it happens to land on Le Mans or Nordschleife, it sets it to a one lap race and gives it like a 30 grand prize. So, um, yeah, doing things dynamically on the fly or changing race things is pretty much the gist of what's not possible. Um, and that's before you get into all the, the general stuff like the fact that you're still working with the PS2's hardware, in essence. <laughs> you're right. still working with a game that's only aware of 32 meg of RAM, even if you're playing it on a PC. Fun trying to communicate that to people as well. Being on an, on an emulator doesn't mean the game knows what to do with more than 32 megs, but it's just one of those things. You end up using it as an opportunity to teach people a bit. Yeah, because like, you still have those constraints, obviously, that I mean, you just can't remove as well. And it kind of leads on to a question I was going to ask as well. And I don't want to turn this into like a developer specific chat or anything like that, but you've mentioned a few times, obviously, the fact that the scripting language exists in the game. And there's a lot that goes on in terms of like reverse engineering it, compiling it, that sort of thing. Um, I was just curious then, and I think we may have covered this just from kind of personal discussions and such, Ad, but it might be interesting for people who just are completely out of the loop about this, but is it like a proprietary scripting language that Polyphony are using in Gran Turismo 4, or is it kind of based on another language and kind of tweaked or changed up just for their requirements? Yeah, uh, it itself is propri proprietary. That's a word I always struggle with. <laughs> um, it's a language that we think they call ad hoc. Um, 
which I suppose in a sense is kind of appropriate. Um, I'm not sure if it's actually based on anything to begin with, or it just was developed in-house and then ended up being quite similar to things. But um, it's very, very similar to JavaScript. If you know how to write JavaScript, you can probably write ad hoc. Um, like I said, whether that's a coincidence or just they used it as a basis on purpose, I'm not sure, but yeah. It's just that it's another one of those kind of polyphony things worth calling out, I suppose, that they really put their footprint on everything in this game, including like the underlying code. There's no generic engines being used or like, well, to a certain extent, I guess, in some capacity, but like most of what polyphony do is very kind of in-house and they want full control of everything, I think. We, it's kind of well catalogued at this point that like Gran Turismo 5 and 6 as well and maybe even Sport had kind of its own ways of handling things internally that are just so polyphony proprietary that they they basically just try and seem to take full control of the game and don't really don't leave anything to kind of out of the box capabilities and that sort of thing. Now that you mention it, honestly, I never I never considered it before, but in a lot of games, if you go to credits, you'll see loads of things for middleware that they use. Like nearly yeah. every game yeah. nowadays will say like Havoc, F mod, Miles Sound System or whatever. Nothing yeah. like that happens in Polyphony <laughs> games. I know they use some formats that are like Sony PlayStation SDK standards. Like the audio yeah. formats they used weren't made by Polyphony, but certainly being fed into an engine, that is entirely made by Polyphony. Like they put their own spin on everything. To be honest, that's probably why Gran Turismo always seems to be like the graphics and performance benchmark. If you're in control of absolutely everything, mm. you know what I mean? You know what all of the code does yeah. in-house, whereas, right. I don't know, you might have an engineer who has a better idea of how to do something quickly than something that works in a library like Havoc. But if you're using the middleware, you, I assume there's ones where you get source control access, but if you're using middleware, you're sort of giving up control over it. That's yeah. probably part of what makes them so special now that I, now that I think of it. Was GT4 the first game to use ad hoc? Like GT3 didn't? Um, mainline, yes. Someone will probably hear me say this and correct it, but I think it was first used in Prologue. But in terms oh, of yeah, mainline games, sense, yeah. in yeah. terms of mainline games, it was definitely four first. Yeah, I feel like just between GT3 and GT4, they they just there was so much ambition there that they were finally. You know, I don't. I don't know exactly the history, like whether there was a massive. They went on a huge hiring spree. They had a much bigger team. They. I mean, I would assume all of those things to be true because, like, they, the game's bigger. That doesn't come out. out that doesn't come out of thin air. But uh, yeah, that makes sense. It feels like an entirely new game when you go between them. To be honest, like, even when you're on, uh, like, a race track that the two games have in common. I know I've mentioned to you specifically before. If you go on Grand Rhythm Three's midfield. It almost feels cartoonish when you've just been on the same one in Gran Turismo 4 because you have like gigantic roadside uh, yep. track signs and curves and everything. Um, and then you go to the fourth one and it's just everything looks a bit more realistically scaled. And that applies to everything really. Like it just feels yeah. like it was almost, probably not literally, but scrapped and rewritten from the ground up. Yeah. You can, you, when, you, when you see things like when you see the under the hood stuff, you start to realise why these games were delayed so much at the time. Mm. <laughs> Especially if you remember yeah. all the articles where it's like, it'll be out by mm, holiday 2003. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember going to try and pre-order Gran Turismo 4 like 
three or four times when I was younger and just every time it was just like the guy game was like we don't even have a real release window like I know magazines are saying this and yeah. the, the kind of the news articles are saying that but like it just seemed as if it was one of those ones it'll, it'll land when it'll, when it's ready yeah you go in um, there and you get the classic yeah. December 31st pre-order Right. Yeah. Amazon exactly. special. Yeah. Yeah. GT3 is interesting to me because it's, you know, it's it's so cool that both that and GT4 are on the same hardware because GT3 it's using the same kind of whacked out proportions and everything as GT1 and GT2. It looks and even though it's still obviously very visually impressive and from a gameplay standpoint it's great too obviously it uh it's it's definitely still working on that ps1 era um just i don't want to say framework but like it it just feels like it's of that time right whereas gt4 is like a next generation thing and it's but it's actually happening during the same console generation so i think it is comparing the two games really interesting yeah definitely i know what you mean so obviously on a technical level when three came out it was mind-blowing like it was cutting edge this is what the new generation of hardware can do but from an art standpoint, it does feel like it's still a product of the 90s. Like, the thing that always stands out to me is the really overly orange UI in the races. <laughs> like, I, I play that and I, I feel like I'm still in the sort of classic era of Gran Turismo because it just feels like such a holdover, for lack of a better word. And then you play 4 where it's all like neatly colour balanced and new, fresh UI. Yeah. It is interesting to see, like, those two games are a really good example of, like, what a developer can do once they're actually used to the hardware they're working on. Because 3 was as close as you'll probably get to Polyphony ever having a launch title, and even then it was like a year into the life cycle. But then you come back four years later, once they've like really had some time to get used to the hardware, and you just have your mind blown all over again, really. <laughs> and that sort of transformation in just four years is just unthinkable now. Like, as we're having this whole conversation, I'm... I'm thinking a lot about the fact, and, and I'm sure you've, as someone who's like, you know, under the hood getting your hands dirty and everything, you've you've maybe considered this yourself, but just like, there's so much going on with modding now in, you know, I mean, modding has always been a factor of gaming, obviously, especially on the, you know, PC side, but I think now in our little community of racing games and stuff, between this and then, you know, talking about the, the huge uh, effort to translate Racing Lagoon, uh, you know, last year, the year before that, I, I feel like we're all kind of regret regressing also isn't the right word, but I feel like we're all kind of going back to a happy place of the games that <laughs> sort of, um, you know, were built in ways that we really liked and sort of rejecting what the industry is turning into now. And it's almost like rather than play the new stuff that's going to disappoint us in some, you know, predictable or unpredictable way, uh, let's just make the old games better. <laughs> I'm you just know? suddenly sent back to flashbacks of like Happy Gilmore where to just go to your happy place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I know what you mean though. It almost feels like all the pandemic stuff threw everyone for a loop. Like we've just yeah. gone into a spiral of like, oh, this is this is comfort food in game form. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. It seems at the moment the the racing genre is almost like a kind of midlife crisis point of view, <laughs> where it's like there there just isn't. A consistency to what's being output, and games aren't capturing people for as long as they used to, as well. I feel like with modern games, people tend to play them for a few days, maybe aside from Gran Turismo, and then kind of drop them. So it it's really interesting that we have these options now to go back and experience games like GT4 in a way we couldn't uh, 
prior to the work, kind of guys like yourself and and then Kai are doing as well, and then obviously with Race and Lagoon, I think it was Hilltop that did that. Um, and then of course a lot of work that, that Silent does as well in terms of bringing games into the kind of the, the modern realm. It, it kind of justifies what I think that we say quite often, Adam, in a sense that racing games as a genre are kind of beneficial of the fact that over time they don't actually get that outdated because the gameplay loops relatively remain consistent and they're fun to play. It's not like anything that supersedes it kind of makes it irrelevant. Maybe on a simulation side you could argue that, but the actual experiences in the racing games, you can play a game from 2010 and still get as much enjoyment out of it nowadays, I feel like, whereas maybe with some genres that's not really the case. Yeah. You've tipped us dangerously close to the edge of the rabbit hole of talking about preservation and why emulation's a good thing. <laughs> that's probably an episode in itself. <laughs> I mean, it's but, not um, something we've ever really talked about before. We obviously talk about, like, you know... How much we love old games because nine times out of ten that's that's what we're discussing on this show but yeah just preservation i mean this is this is an, an act of it i think you know obviously you're modifying the game but you're keeping it alive and as a result we understand more about it now which never would have happened before yeah i know what you mean it's funny you should mention that actually because just yesterday we found some like weird graphics of what looked like unfinished tracks in the game and we were all having a bit of a laugh about those. It was like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the layout of Opera Paris from before. Um, it was almost like a really softened version of that. And I think uh, like logic prevailed and we realised it's probably just something they generated from the AI line. Because obviously the way you drive through a track is smoother than the shape of the track. But it's just funny to see that that was a little discovery we still made fresh just yesterday, you know what I mean? Like, it's a 20-year-old game and people are still finding new things on it. And, which is a very good segue into mentioning all the threads on GD Planet. Countless years of people digging into the files of the games and figuring oh, out yeah. things that were there. Yeah. Like the early event images and so on that we've always joked about when we've been speaking about things individually. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's It's like bringing a better understanding of things because you're still beginning all this time later hmm. this is such a great series for it too because there's so much especially in those early games there's so much content but then there's also so much that you don't see yeah you know the cut down ambition <laughs> you'll still have people nowadays asking about the drag race and mode in Grand Rismo too sure play them strip yeah more than ever people are interested in like hidden things in games or elements that were cut and that sort of thing you, you see it by the way kind of the the algorithm goes now in terms of like youtube and stuff where it's like the, the things that are the most popular are, oh this underappreciated xyz or the x you didn't know about that sort of thing so it feels like like we're seeing a series like gran turismo just has so many layers to that type of stuff in terms of cut content content still hidden and on the actual disc um demo discs beta discs that sort of thing um people love that shit now so it's like <laughs> when when people are actually making changes to these games intentionally through modding and that sort of thing it, it's going to be popular and we say that a few times Ad, but like you, you've seen some really prolific big name streamers and stuff getting involved in playing this sort of thing which it just goes to show that there's definitely a not so much a market because obviously it's not done for for profit or anything like that but there's definitely an audience for 
revisiting old games in ways you didn't expect to see, whether that be in terms of the form of betas and, and kind of cut content versions of games that the developers obviously put in, or what the fan base are actually able to implement. So without the work that's done to allow these games to actually be modded, um, we wouldn't have all of this. So I think that's the thing you mentioned, that GT Planet and that sort of thing going way back, thinking about the type of discoveries there. It's an incremental process of basically breaking down each game or the series, finding out how to actually do the scripting, that sort of thing. There's so many layers that go into it, and I think that was one of the things when we were discussing doing this episode that you were kind of keen to, to say about as well, Ad, was just like the collective effort that goes into this sort of stuff. It, it, it basically allows people like yourself to implement your ideas. It's a pretty impressive collaborative effort when you think about it. It is, yeah. I always try to push the whole the credit angle and making sure everyone gets their dues, like whether they mentioned and so on. Um, like all of the tooling, pretty much all of the tooling for 4 was made by Nankai, which we've, I think we've touched on before. But um, that also stems off from some older research from like a few years before that, so people who were originally figuring out how to extract files from the game. I know there's um, the name Pez, which you'll be familiar with. He's obviously one of the veterans of Gran Turismo Modern. Um, and another one on our team, uh, X-Filefin, I think he was involved in the early work of like extracting the Gran Turismo 4 files. Um, but yeah, it's weird how much everything seems to tie into everything once you've dug into these games a bit, because like Bren just said, the audience that wants to watch people playing these mods of old games on Twitch, it does become apparent when, whether you agree with them or not. You see on YouTube all these videos with tons and tons of views of like, games aren't as good anymore, like, <laughs> this, the ones where you have these other mods where it's like, these modders did a better job than the devs, which is something I always hate, but you know, um, there's definitely an audience there who want to go back and like, re-experience the old stuff with a new twist on it, and if I want to get really armchair psychologist about it, there's probably some connection to be made there about digging into things that were unfinished in games, going back to old games, and the whole thing of like lost media that's going around a lot nowadays, where people people really just want to discover things that seem mysterious and new. And that's probably why a lot of people think games aren't as fun nowadays, because I think everything felt a bit more mysterious and new when you were young. Yeah. Because you play this new game and you have no idea how it works and you just want to find out more and more about it. And then you start digging in the files and find out more and more about it. And then you ruin the mystery for yourself, but <laughs> yeah. you get some good no, stuff out of it. Definitely. <laughs> I think that, that goes without saying because um, I'm sure everybody has that particular title as a kid that like it did have that level of intrigue and mystery to it like I'm a massive fan of like, the Pokemon series for example and I can always remember those original Game Boy games and, and reading about like what were effectively urban legends about what you could find in the games if you did certain steps under or a truck when <laughs> one of them actually turned out to be true through the, the, the famous Missingno bug uh, in terms of like finding a, a Pokemon that didn't exist within the game but like it was just mind blown as a kid and there was that level of intrigue and mystery because the games obviously just had that about them whereas like I was saying now things are just so transparent and kind of polished in some way yeah, so yeah. Completely, but it's, it's the thing is what sorry no I was just gonna say it's also a function of like you know the profit motive too because <laughs> yeah. you know you don't if, if you're thinking about like oh this this content that we were burying like why wouldn't we want to show it off so that people know that it's there so that they spend money or why wouldn't we want to tease it as dlc like when you when you can make money after the sale you start thinking about things in other ways what i was going to say was it, it, 
it definitely goes back to the whole like childlike wonder thing because I think when when you're obsessed with all the missing North stuff in Pokemon, you think it's like some mysterious thing that was added to the game through magic yeah. and so on. And rather than an oversight John Doe made when he was working on a game 15 years ago just as his job that he was sick of. <laughs> the, the interesting thing about that one as well, not to go into too much of a tangent, but was like you were talking about the idea of like the seats in terms of how that plays into the, the random car generation stuff and all of that. And the Missigno glitch itself in Pokemon was also tied to variable factors including the trainer's name, Pokemon and the team, that sort of thing. And I always remember a specific scenario when I tried doing the glitch in school, while my friends huddled around the Game Boy, <laughs> and instead of that like glitch Pokemon appearing, a Team Rocket trainer appeared, and I was battling like a Team Rocket trainer that had five glitch Pokemon, and instead <laughs> of the Missingno appearing, wow. and I just remember how fucking batshit insane that like playtime <laughs> was, because everybody was like, "What happened? Why did that appear?" And then it wasn't until like. 15 years later when I was exploring why did that happen because I definitely didn't imagine it I found out it was that thing that you're talking about Ad, with the whole random car generator thing that glitch happens because effectively and I, I'm not going to try and because I'm not qualified to it's just using all of that data that it can hold in the cartridge to generate something and in specific scenarios you can get really dangerous versions of like the signal that break the game or you can get random trainers that appear that sort of thing it's yeah crazy. that sounds like it's unintentional because that what i think's happening there is it's basically imagine so like the way the game works is probably that it picks a pokemon's id for you to fight against when you have the random encounter yeah. in the wild and it's probably yeah. landing on something invalid and just reading memory which is giving it values that it should never experience so it's just putting yeah. in all kinds of messed up stuff, and because it's... It's that childlike wonder element. When you're a kid, you don't view it like that, of course. You're yeah. just like, whoa, like, yeah. they're onto me. And then <laughs> you're like, and then you're like oh, what if I can make him do this? Yeah. yeah. It's Your mind runs away with it. You're like, yeah, you're trying to think of all the different things you can do with it, rather than the almost jaded mindset now of, ah, I know how that works. Yeah, exactly. Or if you find a glitch, you're like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> but, well, Zero out of ten. A poorly coded game. <laughs> I was just working on um, this list because we have to do slideshows at the, at the website, but I was working on this list of games that um, racing games had changed uh, dramatically during development. I thought it was kind of funny because like, those kinds of lists, like you see them in relation to just kind of video games in general, but I think this might actually be the first list of like specifically racing games that change that I saw online anywhere. And it wasn't, you know, incredibly hard to put together because, you know, other people have done the work. I was just kind of compiling it. But um, even doing that, like I was kind of digging into like Gran Turismo uh, HD and what that was supposed to be. And when I was a kid, I was, I mean, I guess I was a teenager at the time. I was just so confused by whatever the hell they were planning with that whole project <laughs> where like it was going to be. And I didn't actually understand it until kind of doing this research and writing about it now is like it was supposed to be two games and one was basically GT4 online and the other one was GT5 that they were going to launch, you know, contemporary with each other. And, and then, you know, they finally were like, that's this is a weird. Why are we doing this? This is a bad idea. Let's just make GT5 prologue. It gets funnier so, than that as well. Yeah. If I've understood it right, the Gran Turismo 4 Classic one it was kind of like how Race Room works now. Yeah. It's just a bare bones game where you get like a track and three cars. Right. And you actually pay, like, what the advertise at the time was like you would pay 29 pence 
for a car from Gran Turismo 4. Yes. And then, yeah, you would just build the game out yourself. It was early microtransactions in 2005. Yeah. And uh, I, I, that wasn't very well received even at the time. I remember there were some funny videos of people complaining about it at E3, I think, at the time. Um, so you can definitely see why the backtracked on that idea of it, as well as the fact that they were making two games, which is insane. Right. No, it was an absolutely crazy thing, because... Um... Also, I mean, from from what I understand, like it wasn't it wasn't gonna have like you know the GT Life or GT Mo, whatever you want to call it, from GT Four. It was literally they have the online multiplayer and you buy all the content. And I thought it was funny that they also called it classic because there's outside of obviously the engine and the assets, there's something classic about that Gran Turismo experience. Yeah, well, that's what was pointed out at the time. It's like yeah. you can't make a real like classic single player out of it because you can't guarantee that someone owns cars to sure. go into a certain event <laughs> yeah. without spending money. So it just has to be a sort of free form here, bring what you've got online. There yeah. were probably a lot of internal meetings. Like it would have been great to be a fly on the wall in that studio in like 2004 to six. Yeah. The oh stuff they were coming up with. Can you imagine if all this horrible stuff we have with microtransaction nowadays was attributable to Gran Turismo rather than Oblivion Horse Armor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah big polyphony were always like thinking of like out of the box ways to make gt really stand out because even right up until a like, gt5 prologue i always think about like gran turismo tv and how much of like a strange trip yeah. that was for an idea like with real monetized video content within gt5 prologue that couldn't be accessed yeah outside of gt5 prologue they basically fucking made like netflix <laughs> back yeah. then specifically for gt5 prologue and yeah they always have these crazy ideas or they always did um maybe not seen so many of the crazy ones nowadays but um and that kind of You've touched on two good things that can go from there, but yeah. I was just going to say real quick, it's just really funny that they decided to literally try to do all of these things. I mean, become like, you know, a content service and not, you know, full-fledged, but they were kind of dipping their toes, right? And do all these different things at the same time that Sony hardware was never more challenging to develop for. (laughs) <laughs> like you know maybe yeah. if maybe if the ps3 was like you know if they were kind of able to squeeze the performance they got out of the ps2 or the ps4 obviously everything today is much easier it would have been better but like they trying to work magic out of that system when nobody really understood how the fuck it worked until like 2009 <laughs> um it was funny that you mentioned the gdtv stuff as well as the fact that I mentioned Lost Media earlier, because I think a lot of the stuff that was on GDTV is lost for good. Because, if I remember right, it actually has some unique encryption stuff on it. And unless someone has a jailbroken PS3 now that owned that content back in the day, you can't get the keys for it anymore. So anything that was exclusive to that's just gone. So that was a very nice uh, forward-thinking idea. The other (laughs) thing was... Sorry? No, I was just going to say, like, especially when you think back to like, some of the strange content that was on there, obviously the kind of unedited GT Academy videos were on there, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure if those were ever uploaded anywhere else. I've never um, actually seen what's on it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Best, they had a couple best motoring segments. Super GT uh, race which, highlights as well. Yeah, yeah. Top Gear. I remember mentions of Top Gear. Was it? 
like was it actually paid i mean i guess it was paid from what you were both saying i never i never spent money on it so i would look at what was in the menu but i never got to a purchase screen there was paid there was paid videos for sure i think the best motor and stuff was paid the super gt highlights were free i think top gear was paid which is odd given that bbc (laughs) but i guess worldwide audience different um yeah uh, there, was, there was a mix of, of free and uh, paid. I remember that I, I did actually watch like every single episode of GT Academy through GTTV and it was like, I'm pretty sure it was like 30 minute, 45 minute like, videos as well. Like it was proper content and I, I maybe they are on YouTube or something. I've never actually searched, but that Lucas Aldonez, his whole journey was pretty much catalogued in GT5 Prologue and it might be lost based on what I had seen. Maybe they'll bring it out in the, the archives as times this... for those videos. Maybe they'll bring it out in the archives as like special edition of the film. <laughs> exactly, that's the um, that's the lost media build of the Gran Turismo film. Then there you go. It all comes back together. Um, it's funny thinking of the GTTV stuff because it also makes you think of how many ideas they had in like the early and mid two thousands that are actually commonplace now, and how things might have been different if they actually took off at the time. Because GTTV is just kind of like an awkward version of what you have now with Netflix and Prime, isn't it? Digital yeah. paid content yeah. that you can only watch on that device. And the thing that I think we touched on it recently when we were just talking off uh, offline was um, they've been trying to do the sport mode idea since like 2001 in Gran Turismo. The, like, there's some behind the scenes videos where they're talking about trying to have like an online ranked league system thing for Gran Turismo 3 and the fact that they were talking about that at the time and then when you look into the Gran Turismo 4 online build how they've got like an early version of the N-Class system it's it's mad just to see how persistent they've been with that idea because now it actually is there and it's taken off the fact that they've been trying to do it for 22 years is insane <laughs> I mean the funny thing is at a certain extent they, they, they could have done it earlier than they did right? But yeah, they they were honing it for a while. It's kind of funny when you look at like what Polyphony does faster than everybody else and what they kind of what it takes them longer to do. Uh, yeah, just a matter of yeah. priorities, I suppose. I know what you mean. Um, this yeah. this sort of like early traces of it in Gran Turismo Six as well, because if you remember the quick match system, is a bit like sport mode is now. Like it didn't have the driver ratings or anything, but it had like yeah. scheduled matches, uh, match made races that were up to like a certain PP or classification. Um, it's always interesting to see like in, in the different iterations of each game how much they've tried and tried with an idea that they eventually finally debuted. Yeah. Um, this has kind of taken the conversation a little bit, uh, well, definitely out of the Gran Turismo realm, but with all of the modding work that you've done here, um, are there any other uh, racing games, I mean, just any other games in general that interest you that that you've worked on or would want to like kind of i guess you'd be tinkering with anything right so it's hard to say like where the potential for a project is until you've actually like delved into it but i'm just wondering like what games i know you're a huge fan of pgr2 for example yeah yeah and it's perfect that you mentioned that because that is a, a one that i actually tried to make quite a big mod for before mm. <laughs> um I think when we were playing it recently, I pointed out the fact that all of the DLC cars and tracks just aren't used, really. Yes. You can use them in time trials and online, but there is no actual like race against the eye content on them. Um, 
one of the things I worked on a while back before I ran into some issues was actually just putting those cars in the classes that they match best with. Hmm. So you know how one of the packs had like the C6 Corvette at the time? Sure. Obviously you would think that would fit quite well into the class that had the C5. So just like sprinkling the cars throughout the other classes. And even then, some bits of good content, like uh, the Maserati 4200, is it called? The Coupe yeah. from the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And BMW M Coupe, the clown shoe. Um, they're just in the game files. Pretty much ready to be used. I assume they were cut for licensing reasons. Um, so I just tried to integrate those back into the game as well. Yeah. But that's kind of like a backburner idea that I'd go back to someday. Uh, it probably wouldn't really work well nowadays with Insignia either because you'd have people who have different content try and go on the same game. Right. But yeah, I just endlessly think with every game really. Hmm. Well, with the with the GT4 spec too. I mean, you could like conceivably you you could play that on like original hardware. You could burn that. Well, I guess you wouldn't burn it. I guess you would probably need to run it from like you know some sort of storage media, but you could run it on a PS2. Right? In theory, so, yeah. yeah. Um, we've had a few people who, I think one of them runs it from OPL, like the open PS2 loader thing. Yeah. I think they have it on an actual PS2 hard drive. Hmm. But what I think most people do, because I think it's the least bad in terms of like read speed, I think people play them from network shares. Um, it's something I'll probably look into more to try and actually test them out on real hardware. But um, yeah, we've actually had people play it on real hardware and besides a few issues that you can work around, it's actually functional. Yeah, I remember Which I'm you, quite uh, impressed with. You gave me uh, one build because I, I happen to have the one PS3 with the double backwards compatibility or whatever. And I tried it out and I was, I was so happy and excited when like, I can't remember where it stopped. It was definitely before the before the screen where you like make your profile or whatever but even just seeing like a logo like the sony computer entertainment logo i was just like oh my god this works <laughs> yeah and then in my mind i was like all right that's good because that means he's got past this point and the file's actually loaded and blah right. blah 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 blah. um yeah. the real ps2s have the same issue so we know it's not a backwards compatibility issue hmm. so what happened with those people was they realized it's actually I think the screen where it pops up for you to type the name in on the keyboard and through just their own intuition found out that if you make a save on PCSX2, the emulator, rip the files from that virtual memory card and put it on the real thing, after you've made the save it works fine from then on. It's literally just the save creation part that crashes. Uh, okay. We think that's fixed now anyway but I haven't put a new build out for people to test since the released version. But uh, you can certainly test that out if you want. <laughs> Send a new build over to like, try this one. No, this one. No, this one. No. And then like without even trying, I'm, I'm listed as a tester. Like I, <laughs> I just, well, yeah, I was you, just trying to see if it worked. <laughs> you were literally the first tester that's not me. And you were the, by extension the first person to test it on real hardware. Yeah. So I just thought, uh, you did that. It was useful to see what the game does. Put the name in there. It's only some text. Well, then it was like just messing around with the NPCSX2, and I think you were like, I completely forgot you could just do that too. Because I was uh, just, I had never used the, uh, Silent was responsible for the camera mod, right? The GT3. Yeah, yeah, I think it was him and Aero. Yeah, I was trying that for a first time, which is, you know, Again, very, very transformative if, I mean, everyone hates GT4's chase cam, so 
Uh, and that's something you could just do with the regular game if you just patch it uh, the way that you do that. Yeah, it was funny that when you when you were like, oh, this thing's pretty cool in the mod, and I was like, has he done that? <laughs> oh, he just played it on the emulator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll have this really in-depth mind that works on all these like ins and outs of a game, and then you forget obvious things like, oh, this person's just still got that copy of the game lying around. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... And that was... It feels... I mean, that was probably, like, March or something like that. Or February, yeah. maybe. Um, but, yeah, you're making tremendous progress. Um, I don't want to ask you the dreaded the dreaded question of when will it be done, but, like, <laughs> where, are you, uh, where are you at at this point? And, um, yeah, I don't know. What can people look forward to? Uh, it's hard to, like, quantify the progress so far. Um, if you're just doing it by purely car sounds, I know that around half of the, uh, the game's cars are using a new sound ID. So in wow. terms of sounds, we're sort of like 50% done. That doesn't mean 300 odd unique sounds, because obviously a lot of cars have the same engine. You can just reuse a sound. Sure. I think it's like 75 unique sounds so far, which covers about 320 cars. Um, Gameplay-wise, like I joked before, it's kind of like a scope creep thing, where I don't really know where I want to go further with it, so I can't really say where the stopping point is. Um, and me and one of the other modders we've worked on a sort of spreadsheet of events that we want to add by trimming down some of the fat in other areas. So um, I'll know when that part of things is done. It might honestly just be a point where I start to lose interest in it and I just think, ah, I'm just going to polish up what's there and give it to people. <laughs> it's kind of what I did with the current release to avoid uh, too many questions of when it's going to come. I just thought I'll put this out there as a sort of teaser build, and then I'm I'm going to buy well. myself more time. It's yeah, really well for you. Because so. obviously people will, will waste loads of time playing that while I work on the full thing. So <laughs> it buys me some time. It's a bit so of a distraction. What you're saying is you've released Spec to Prologue. Then is that it? You've, ah, you've fall, I've, fall I've released Spec 1.5. <laughs> I don't know how you do 1.5 in Roman numerals. I might have to look that one up. <laughs> I'm really excited to see how it looks like in the end, but yeah, I think by the sounds of it as well, um, I'd, like you're just enjoying it so much as well. Like, like you're saying, you don't have that expectation of people waiting for it. There's no like internal deadlines you've set yourself. You're coming up with great ideas as you go and and kind of taking on board feedback and that sort of thing. It must be really cool, I suppose, to be working on something with a tangible output that's also seemingly fun for yourself. It is, to be honest. I think most of the... It's not to pat myself on the back either because I think it's just a love for the original game itself rather than the things I'm doing. But what I'll find a lot of the time is I'll take a bit of a break of working on the mod and then I'll just play it for like a week. <laughs> I'll start a new playthrough of the game and play it for a bit. It's probably taken twice as long as it should have just because a lot of the time I'll just be like, I don't want to work on this anymore, but I still like it, so I'll play it a bit. Yeah, and the fact that, I mean, this game's been out for 20 years and you know the ins and outs and you've played it before modding it you played it a ton and now you still are um your way of unwinding from modding the game is still playing the game i think that says a lot <laughs> about the quality of gt4 yeah yeah well it's why it's up there in all the all-time great lists really isn't it right. it's one of the games that has survived nostalgia goggles like there yeah. are a lot of games where you remember them as being great and then you try them and you just like it was okay for the time, I guess. But for me, honestly, 4 still holds up as it is now. Yeah. Even physics-wise, I think it's quite convincing. Certainly for the age. And certainly with the new chase camera. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, 
I mean, I wouldn't be so interested in the game if I didn't still find it fun. Yeah. If it was a chore to play, then I would never want to test it, and then I would never get the mod done. <laughs> is there uh, is there anything else? I know you're not uh, like super active on social media or anything like that, but is there anything else you want to plug uh, while you have the the ears of all I don't know maybe twenty people listening to this? Uh, I can plug the modern hub. Sure. Modding hub, just to eliminate the accent a bit. Um, I would need to get the actual URL for it, but it's a massive sort of wiki project that Nenkai's been working on for the past couple of months, where it's like ins and outs of nearly everything. So from things as simple as how to copy the files to the PS3 to play one of the mods that's already out there, to how to get started with the deep compiled script and start programming for the game yourself. Like, it's, it's trying to have everything in there. Even all those tons of builds of Gran Turismo concept, just to, like, document things. Yeah. Have everything in one place. Um, I've put a plug for it in the credit screen of the mod as well, just because it's a really useful resource, and we keep having people not use it and ask us questions <laughs> that are on there. So, if there's anything to plug, it's that one. Two very quick questions for you, just to send some heat your way, depending on what your answers are. Um, answer honestly with the first thing that comes into your head for both, but what is the best racing game ever made? PGR 2. And what is the most overrated racing game ever made? Ridge Racer 7. <laughs> I fucking knew you were going to say Ridge Racer. <laughs> I, Does that uh... not mean I stick true to my opinions? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I the thing is, I kind of I agree. I don't, know, I don't know if I would say most overrated of all time, but Ridge Racer 7 is overrated. Absolutely is. Yeah. You should have said type four just to see Adam's reaction. Yeah, that then would I would have. Then I would have been. Uh, well, I'm honest enough with me opinions to not shit on a game I've never played, <laughs> and I've never played type four. So yeah, so just um, never play type four and don't ever say a bad thing about it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, and last question then, Ad. Actually, um, <laughs> what what sequel to a racing game would you like to see? I, I could probably guess based on what your favorite racing game is, but uh, why don't you answer that and I'll tell you if you're right. Project Gotham Racing? <laughs> You're very close. Oh, it's probably well, Forza Horizon. So it's probably. <laughs> oh yeah. What? Just wait five minutes and then that wish will come true. Um, no, it's it's probably because I've actually played the in-dev version of it and seen where it could have went. Blur two, very That's close good, to PGR. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I recommend with this. I recommend well, I everyone look up that Blur two video and see the whole yeah. thing of like the R eight driving on the walls in Dubai and cry over where that franchise could have went. It looks so cool. It did look yeah. very cool in those videos. I think we've referenced them quite a few times on the show as well. Like, yeah. th That would have definitely been the... I don't know why this is the first comparison that popped into my head, but like the Assassin's Creed 2 compared to Assassin's Creed 1. <laughs> it was like Ubisoft actually achieved what they wanted to achieve with the, the sequel. I think with Blur it would have been the same where they would have kind of took that concept to like the nth degree and really made it something it's yeah. special. It is really good videos. I think that was my logic behind picking that rather than Project Gotham because yeah, as, yeah. as hot of a take as it might sound, with a PGR sequel you would probably know where it's going to go because it's trying to be sort of authentic on-track racing. It's just going to be the current cars and cities of the time. But Blur 2 was like a bit of a step outside the box and it was trying to be a bit more wacky, like the whole driving on walls thing. Yeah, You didn't know what they might have come up with if they had time to actually finish it, so... Yeah, I think that one wins out a bit, rather than just, like, a new sequel. 
I think it's safe to say that Blur 2 definitely would have done for racing games what Call of Duty did for <laughs> shooters. <laughs> yep. Uh, Activision like would have gotten their wish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now that's, that's all my, my quick fire speed dating <laughs> questions done. Um, it's always good when somebody's got immediate answers like that. I had a feeling you would, so I thought that's Pedro why <laughs> Hop in the Time Extend Discord. Uh, if you go to our Twitter page, which is time underscore extend, there is a link uh, where you can join the Discord. If you're not there already, uh, we'd love to have you. We have a good time. Um, Ad is regularly, uh, you know, informing us many of the things uh, in this episode, that that kind of stuff, uh, information that about a racing game that you may like that you didn't know until now. So, yep. so go there and yep. read that instead of listening to me talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and annoy ad directly <laughs> if you're listening to this and going oh I've got one ah, take it back, ideas, take it back. you can hijack TX Thursdays take up all of ad's evening I'm sure he wouldn't mind <laughs> yeah but then you'll have to watch me play Geometry Wars for two hours as punishment yeah, that seems okay to me <laughs> Geometry Wars alright all right, we're uh, we're closing this one down So, thanks everybody for listening thank you for being here ad uh, this was a lot of fun yeah, great. and uh, yeah uh, talk to you later. See you. Thanks for listening, guys.